Namaste and Hari Om. This is your host Kishore Trivedi welcoming you to this episode of Know Your Dharma program on Radio Naira. This radio program is a collaboration between Radio Naira and the Hindu Society of North Carolina. All the past recordings can be found in the bottom table under the KYD tab of hsnctemple.org. Today I am very happy to welcome our guests Ranjan Vasudev and Sonali Shukla. The topic today is our guests evolution on the path of dharma. Ranjan and Sonali please introduce yourself briefly to our audience. Namaste everybody. Uh, I'm Ranjan Vasudevan. Uh, I'm from Cambridge in the UK. I was born and raised in um, the United Kingdom, born near, near London. And um, I'm uh, a software engineer by profession. I studied astrophysics at university. Um, and uh, I've had a what I think is an interesting journey in in uh, Hinduism and and dharma and uh, one of the things I do is uh, also um, as a part-time venture I help people with uh, performing pujas and samskaras in their house as a, as a priest as well wonderful and sonali hi i'm sonali um i was born and raised in the us uh, my parents are in knoxville tennessee um, I'm also an astrophysicist by training, but currently working as a careers consultant at the University of Cambridge in England. It's interesting. I, I noticed some UK accent in Sonali's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I've been there too long. <laughs> um, Sonali, I understand that you were born, as you said, you were born and raised in USA. Please tell us about your understanding of Dharma during your formative years in US. So um, I was, I think, really fortunate um, as a child, I, I observed my parents kind of carrying out uh, basic Hindu rituals at home. So simple things like lighting the diva in the morning or celebrating you know, annual festivals such as Navratri and Diwali. And I think that kind of formed my earliest recollection of what are things that we do as a family and more broadly as, as Hindus, um, as, as our duty, as, as something that we do. And I think... Uh, I was lucky again when we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, when I was about eight or nine years old, uh, the temple in town was being built. And I think that was a really unique opportunity for me because I saw how uh, the wider Indian community could come together and kind of have lots of different views on how to uh, practice Hinduism in, in the US. And I think that was also quite a pivotal point for me as far as um, developing my idea of how how do we practice this this idea of, of Hinduism or what, what is your dharma? Very good. So this is during the 80s, I assume, right? Uh, yeah, the temple would have been built in the 90s, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Ranjan, I understand you were born and raised in UK. Uh, please tell us about your understanding of dharma in your formative years. In terms of my exposure to dharma, I think there was one crucial difference. Um, we were not uh, so active in any temple or any community like that. Um, my um, mother at home would do, again, simple rituals for festivals, Deepavali and um, uh, uh, Krishna Janmashtami and uh, various festivals like that. I didn't have a strong drive at home towards religiousness. Um, so I think uh, my father especially has a what I'd call a healthy dose of skepticism, I think, for um, uh, ritual and uh, religion. And I think in many ways I still have inherited that um, skepticism. I think it's very important to question 
everything. But um, I think I didn't take participation in Hindu um, rituals as a given. Um, I took it as an option and as an interest. I think it was something that didn't come from a sense of community so much, but just as a uh, something that started with things like reading Amritchitrakatha books. As many of us, that's probably very common to both yeah. Sonali and myself. And uh, just uh, you know, occasionally experiencing festivals and the like. So, quite a, a low-key introduction to dharma, you would say. Hmm, interesting, very interesting. Uh, Anjan, tell us about your experience during university years. Yeah, so I think this um, changed some of my outlook in a way. Uh, I think I'd always been interested in the philosophy of Hinduism, um, what I understood it to be. I think my understanding was very simplistic, like you know many of our understandings are at that age uh, but in the university environment when i went to cambridge i joined the hindu cultural society there which was um a really uh, valuable experience for me looking back because it exposed me to different diverse cultures of hinduism um the the traditional practices of different language linguistic groups geographic groups um, and also a really a very strong sense of intellectual inquiry that was there um, in, in the group. They'd have sessions to discuss various topics, quite controversial topics sometimes. And um, another thing that happened to me during my university years is I, I had a very late Upanayana Samskar. So, um, uh, you know, this is uh, for those not familiar, um, people who studied the Vedas and the traditional texts would have the uh, sacred thread ceremony uh, usually in their very early years, right, seven or eight, maybe um, early teens. But um, there was no pressure for me to have it at home, although obviously our family had it as their tradition for a long time and everyone was following it. Um, but then I, I came to it quite late and actually this allowed me to really um, come to these traditions and rituals with a, a, a sort of uh, fresh perspective, I think, as an adult almost, as a young adult. Um, and that's where I was fascinated by not only the philosophy, but how it um, uh, dovetailed into ritual and culture and, you know, everything, you know, from cooking, you, know, you name it, you know, it's not just about reading about things. And I think in university, I also had the opportunity then to take more of a role in helping the Hindu society in things like pujas and um, uh, celebrations as well. So that was also a very um, uh, rewarding experience for me. So that's interesting. You know, this um, uh, triggers several questions in my mind. Uh, I've been instrumental in starting Hindu Student Association at Duke. And uh, so, uh, first of all, there is a dichotomy on U.S. campuses. Uh, the, the India Student Association uh, is more or less distancing itself from uh, Hinduism. And so there is a separate Hindu Student Association as opposed to uh, India Student Association, which has become South Asian Student Association. So that's one uh, issue, whether there is something similar dichotomy in UK campuses. And second, uh, participation in uh, various uh, uh, activities, particularly re relating to scriptural study uh, uh, is very sparse even among Hindu Student Association at Duke or US campuses. So both these, uh, how do they compare on UK campuses? That's a good question. I don't think I know the up-to-date answer to that question. Um, all I know is that I happen to fall in with a bunch of people who um, 
had you know varying degrees of interest, but there was certainly a willingness to discuss issues and to try and go back to the source. Um, it, I wouldn't say it was extremely in depth, um, but it was certainly intellectually in depth. You know, they wouldn't necessarily take out a book of、um, what does this Upanishad say or what is that. But、um, you know, there would be at least some discussion. You know, what does Hinduism think about alcohol or you know ver- various issues that may be discussed in an intellectual sense, but perhaps not going to the scriptures. Certainly, there were a core of people who were interested in that. I think in in many ways, what you've identified is is similar in the UK, and I think it's. Perhaps to be expected in some ways, there will always be people who don't really want to identify so much with the religious side, and I guess you know one one has to kind of respect that. And even in, within the Hindu cultural society that I was a part of, there were many people who were in it to be to sort of recreate something of their home atmosphere, without too much of an interest in maybe the intellectual side. And you know, as you say, some people, maybe a, a minority, would be interested in the in the other side. But I guess. It's our duty as people, if we're in positions of leadership in those societies. I guess we we tried our best to kind of make those issues of of further inquiry relevant to people. You know, try and kind of、um, uh, bring them alive for people as far as we could. Yeah,、uh, you know,、um, mo- I, most people are interested in rituals and festivals and pujas, and very few people are interested in learning the basics. And, and the uh, intellectual understanding or philosophical part、uh, can be tackled by individual topics like you're talking about, or by going through scriptures. And there have there are very modern and very up to date、uh, appealing interpretations by people like Eknath Ishwaran and so on. So I would like more students to be exposed to such writers if if we can do that.、Uh, So Sonali, tell us about your experience during university years.、Uh, I assume undergraduate was in US, right? Yes, yes. So I did my undergraduate actually right at home,、um, home meaning my hometown at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And、um, I think kind of opposite to Ranjan, at the beginning of university, I was a bit more hands off. I was focused much more on on my studies and the the intellectual pursuits. Of physics, rather than thinking anything about、um, religion and philosophy, but I did take a course、um, by a, a very notable Sanskrit scholar. There,、um, it, it was a basic, you know, religion and philosophy in India.、Um, but it was very interesting because I think the course was obviously presented from a Western perspective, but it immediately drove me to come home and, and ask my parents, you know, well, this is what they're saying, but what's the perspective? That you guys have, being you know obviously born and raised in India, and I think that's when I started kind of piecing together, you know, what was, what did I know that was based just on you know kind of my observations of family tradition versus what was written in the scripture, what what is known in a kind of more、um, broader broader、yeah. sense,、um, and I think that that was that was a really nice way for me to start to kind of say, okay, I've I've. Grown up with this particular perspective, but here's here's where it's coming from. Here's the basis for it. And I think、um, I wasn't as involved.、Uh, we had exactly the dichotomy that you described、um, of the Indian Student Association, and then you know a handful of them that were interested in Hinduism. And to be honest, I wasn't very heavily involved with either. I was kind of hands off.、Um, but there was one time when I was asked to sit on a panel 
um, because they, there was a, not a debate, but kind of a, a panel session on abortion and how various uh, religions, what was their stance on abortion? And I remember I was asked the question, you know, what do the Hindu scriptures say about abortion? And I was completely flabbergasted because at that juncture, I hadn't, I hadn't delved deep enough into knowing, you know, first of all, where would I even find this information? What do we count as our basic text? You know, do I go to the Gita? Do I go to the Vedas? Do I go to the Upanishads? And, um, you know, I, I probably completely, <laughs> completely ruined that question for in terms of the panel interview, but in terms of my own learning, um, again, it was an opportunity to, for me to kind of say, aha, there is a lot, um, there's a lot of scriptures, there's a rich oral tradition, and there is, um, you know, oodles of, of interpretations by philosophers over the centuries that, that you know, can really broaden one's perspective. Uh, so that triggers another question. Uh, so uh, there are courses uh, on Hinduism or Indian culture or whatever at all the universities. Uh, now, so were you able to access a lot of these courses and then the professors quite often, even, even if they are Indian or Hindu, their views uh, tend to be quite negative. Is that true? Um, again, I think I was quite lucky. Um, so I had uh, Professor Fitzgerald, who's actually, he must be retired now, but he was at the University of Tennessee, moved to Brown University. Um, but he had actually lived in Chennai for a number of years. And um, he was not only a Sanskrit scholar, but also a Tamil scholar. So he had an in-depth knowledge of both of those. And I remember, you know, in the course, he would talk about, um, you know, he'd talk about Brahmin as the, the caste and then Brahmin and Brahma, but he would use kind of a funny pronunciation. He would say Brahman. And I remember, you know, just, rolling my eyes and saying, oh, this guy doesn't know anything. Why is he saying Brockman? Um, but the first time I spoke to him on a one-to-one -one basis, he said, you know, I, I have to use this pronunciation because the subtlety of the differences in pronunciation is not picked up by most of the students yeah, in the, the words are <laughs> Exactly. And, and I think that, you know, immediately raised my respect for him quite a bit because, mm. um, you know, I said, oh, he does understand the subtlety of this. He's a very, you know, renowned language scholar, if not a culture mm. scholar. And, um, you know, I, and that was one of many kind of one-to-one -one visits that I had with him that, you know, um, I, I think he had a real, real love for the languages. And because of that had a respect for, mm. um, for culture. I think if I might come in briefly on that, a very similar experience I had during my PhD years and my undergraduate years um, is, is in learning Sanskritam. Um, so, uh, first of all, Dr. Satinarayana Shastri, of the, uh, who sadly passed away recently, of the Bharati Vidya Bhavan in London, used to come and do free classes for the Hindu society or anyone who was interested, no religious, um, uh, you know, uh, barness, of course. Um, and then later, during my PhD years, a, a great scholar who was at Cambridge at the time, um, Dr. Vincenzo Vergiani, who um, would let me sit in on his PhD and master's student uh, supervision sessions. And, you know, um, I think there is a perception that maybe some of the Western scholars don't have the, the, the feel for um, or the respect, the innate respect. But I, I definitely didn't get that at all. I mean, again, in Vincenzo's case, he was a someone who spent many years uh, in India, also coincidentally a scholar of Tamil and Sanskritam. And um, he, uh, you know, really, I could tell from the 
care with which the each pada of the Upanishad Vakyas, you know, the, the sentences was was being um, analyzed. You could, I could sense from my perspective a deep respect and appreciation, you know, for for the text. Oh, that makes me very happy. And so maybe there are few uh, that are negative; they get more press, I guess. <laughs> and there is this uh, professor at Rutgers University, Audrey Trotsky. Um, maybe she is a uh, one of the few like that. I, I hope that's that's wonderful. Uh, now, Ranjan, uh, your take on Hinduism as a practice way of life, not just try philosophy, uh, seems very interesting. Perhaps to our audience too, not just to me. Please tell us more about that. As I mentioned in my early university years, I was interested in this sort of global philosophy, the stuff that kind of gets often. Uh, you know, repeated as the kind of essence of Hinduism, or like, you know, we are all one, we're all, you know, God, we're, you know, Ahimsa, basically quite generic things, right? And I think quite a limited understanding. And um, I think uh, that was really fulfilling in one way. Um, but I think another thing that happened to me during my university years was a exposure to different types of philosophy within um, Hinduism. So I know that you've been running this series of uh, studying the Upanishads, for example, and you've talked about how the Shankaracharya, Ramanujacharya, Madhvacharya and other teachers are given different interpretations. And I think what I'd been exposed to was a quite light version of Advaita before before that, not, not necessarily a really keen analysis. And I then discovered the tradition of Ramanujacharya, which is what my own family belongs to, and uh, discovered quite a different emphasis. Um, I think, for example, the, the Ramanuja tradition is very much about affirming the reality of the world, for example. So nothing imaginary about our existence, or there's nothing less real about our current existence than, uh, than what, is, what is fundamentally true. And another aspect to that tradition is, is the, um, the, the bhakti tradition that uh, I came to know more about. So in, in the tradition of Ramanuja, they pay great respect to the Tamil saints called the Arivars. And what was very fascinating to me at the time is that these saints came from all castes, all kind of walks of life, included a woman as well. And I think one dichotomy for me was the kind of perceived rigidity of some of the aspects of our tradition and some of these more negative uh, things about caste and, and so on and so forth. And also this complete sense of um, uh, surrender and love that you feel in this bhakti tradition of uh, equality all people are fundamentally the same um, and it's it's also about uh, i felt a sense of social responsibility as a theme rather than just studying philosophy for our own individual upliftment but um, it being about uh, for example what one common saying you hear in the bhakti tradition is that serving a fellow devotee is more important than serving god right so um it felt to me like it kind of um, was a call to actually appreciate the way we interact with the world. And also, you know, we talk about the environmental crisis and climate change. Um, you know, in the Vaishnava tradition, we say that Bhudevi is the consort of Lord Vishnu, right? And, uh, you know, we talk about doing puja and all that. But on the other hand, what are we doing to actually take care of Bhudevi? What are we doing to, um, to, to actually... Um, look after the mother that we, we we revere as a goddess right and so all these things kind of um pushed me in a direction of appreciating the actual practical aspects of religion 
And uh, as well as that, um, the Upanayana Samskara introduced to me the daily disciplines that we follow. Um, so, for example, um, many people may not uh, be, be following this in this day and age, but there, I, I think it's a great value. The, um, the student who is initiated into the Upanayana Samskara is, is supposed to have a daily self-reflection at the sunrise and sunset with the Gayatri Mantra, right? And I think that what is often portrayed is that, you know, this is just meaningless ritual or karmakand and it's kind of, uh, you know, not, it's not so important. What I felt in that ritual is a sense of, oh, this is a kind of self-reflection. This is how can I be the best person I need to be? How can I use those lessons in society and in my interactions with people to kind of, uh, you know, make the world a better place for those around me? Wonderful. And, um, you know, so two, two thoughts come to mind from what you described. One is that there are different darshanas or even Vedanta has at least three schools. Actually, there are many more schools. Yeah. And uh, people don't realize, outsiders don't realize, even, even Hindus don't realize how different they are from each other. Indeed, and yeah. still, uh, it, they coexist without any acrimony. Uh, yes. At most, there are debates and <laughs> nothing, nothing more than that. Indeed. And the second, second point comes to mind is that one of our um, interviewer interviewees in the past mentioned that Mahatma Gandhi used to tell uh, his ashram ashramites that um, at the end of the day, take a piece of paper and write down on that piece of paper what all you did wrong today and how you will want to improve. And then uh, just burn that piece of paper. But that is the self-reflection you're talking about. Exactly. So wonderful. I think at this point, we should take a quick break and come back after the commercial break. So thank you and uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. <laughs> 